0: Good morning. Everybody's adjusted to the new time. Some of you might have been uh, wondering about the title to my message this morning, but before you uh, blame Chelsea for mixing up the words, uh, let let me explain after Vern asked me to uh, if I would speak here on March 11th, which is today, I uh, started to think about what God wanted me to share with you this morning, and it wasn't long after that, I, uh, I recalled a devotional uh, written by Bill Crowder, where he f- refers to the much-loved uh, children's hymn, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. It was written by Anna Warner in the 1800s. I didn't realize the song was that old. And I continue to read what Crowder mentions there, and he says, uh, he goes on to tell how his wife got a wall plaque as a gift from one of her friends, and it gave these words a fresh twist by turning the words around to Jesus knows me, this I love. This provides a uh, different perspective on our relationship with God. We are known. So we are known and loved. And I thought to myself, there's a sermon here. So that's why I chose it. And then I was sitting here listening to Pastor Danny's message, uh, I believe it was two weeks ago, uh, where he made reference to John chapter 1 where Jesus meets Nathaniel, And uh, Philip, Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus and Jesus says, as he sees Nathanael coming, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel is surprised and he says, how do you know me? And what does Jesus answer? He says, before Philip called you, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus knows. He knows me and he loves me anyway. So that's why I plagiarized Mrs. Crowder's wall plaque. You're not supposed to do that, right? You're not supposed to plagiarize other people's material. But I did it anyway. And if she gets, if she gets upset about that, uh, I'll just remind her of the, of the money I spent buying some of her husband's books, okay? <laughs> now normally when I uh, prepare a message, I choose a portion of scripture and uh, study up on that and go from there. And last of all, I decide on the title. So this time I started with the title and then I wondered where do I go from here? As I started to research and study various scriptures, I kept coming back to Psalm 139, uh, from which uh, Nancy read earlier, and she says it's one of her favorites. And I've discovered over the past little while that it's a favorite of many people, and it's a favorite of mine. But it fit it fit to a T what I wanted to say this morning when I chose my title. So let's turn again to Psalm 139, if you have your Bibles. I'll read, I'll read some of the verses later on again. <clears throat> this psalm has been described as one of the most profound and most personal of all of David's psalms. Seeing God as sovereign and in control and at the same time close and personal. So God is sovereign and in control, and yet he is close and personal. And that is also referred to in many other, other portions of Scripture, uh, Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4 being one of them, where the psalmist says there, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? The work of your fingers. Take a look at your fingers. Everybody's done something with their fingers, right? Now, now imagine God's fingers, as as the psalmist does. Here's something for you. I think I shared this in adult Sunday school, so sorry for repeating myself. But there's some of you that might not know this. I ju- I just love stuff like this. Anyway, the work of God's fingers. The galaxy we live in, get this, the galaxy we live in is spinning at the incredible speed of almost 500,000 miles an hour. You thought you had a fast car, right? The galaxy we live in is spinning at almost 500,000 miles per hour. Okay? Keep that in your head. And even at this breakneck speed... To make one rotation, our galaxy needs 200 million years. One rotation. At almost 500,000 miles an hour, one rotation, 200 million years. You have brain cramps? And scientists tell us that there are over one billion other galaxies, much like ours, in the universe. That's amazing. And they don't know the half yet, I don't think. The work of God's fingers, just to impress upon you that God is sovereign. OK? I read recently that uh, President Theodore Roosevelt, uh, many years ago, uh, he had a habit of where every now and then he would go outside after dark with his friend William Beebe, who was a scientist. And they would stare into the night sky and they would find a faint spot of light at the lower left-hand corner of Pegasus. For those of you who know your constellations, I really don't. But anyway, they found this little light at the corner of that constellation. And they would say, that is the galaxy of Andromeda. It is one of a hundred million And it is 750,000 light years away, and it consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own. Enough information for one morning? And then there would be a pause, and then Roosevelt would grin, and he would say, now I think we feel small enough, let's go to bed. David must have had similar thoughts when he penned the words of Psalm 139, the psalm we're considering this morning. He too was filled with wonder. And I'd like for us to look at these verses, verses 1 to 18, under three headings. The wonder of God's knowledge, the wonder of God's presence, and the wonder of God's power. Excuse me. By the way, if you, if you don't like my title, I found another book where the author suggests a title, A Wise Man's Prayer, would also be a good title for this psalm. So if you'd rather, you can do that. Verses 1 to 6, One thirty-nine. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, you know when I sit down, when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar, you scrutinize my path and my lying down. And are intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is too high, I cannot attain to it. Five times in this psalm, David stated that God knew him. What does God actually... Have you ever thought about that? What does God actually know about us? We can can highlight from these verses He knows what we do. He knows what we think. He knows where we go. He knows what we say. He knows what we need. God's knowledge of us is beyond human comprehension. And yet the psalm... This psalm tells us that God's knowledge is not only infinite, but it is also very personal. And that's what I would like for us to remember this morning, that God's, God's knowledge, though infinite, is very personal. Does it make you uncomfortable to know that God knows about your every thought, your every word, and your every action? We try sometimes to hide our true selves from other people, don't we? We wear a mask. We don't let people get to know us completely. They might find out something they don't like. We might be misunderstood, etc., etc. But with God, all such hiding is in vain. There never was a time, the author says, in which we were unknown to God, and there never will be a moment in which we shall be beyond his observation and care. And when David, here in this psalm, considers All this, being completely known by God, what does he say? Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, I cannot attain to it. David had a pretty sordid history, didn't he? So you might be wondering why he would say that God's knowledge of him was so wonderful. I don't believe that David was trying to pretend to be something he was not. But I do believe that David had experienced God's forgiveness and his restoration, and that is why God's thoughts of him were so precious, and they can be to each one of us as well. I was listening to David Jeremiah on TV some time ago. He's one of my favorite speakers too, by the way. And he was dealing with the topic of our relationship with the Lord and you related how a friend of his made the comment if Jesus had a fridge my picture would be on it. How about that, eh? You got pictures on your fridge? We do. I'm thinking of buying a bigger fridge. Do you ever feel like you don't matter? Here's something to boost your self-esteem, right? Consider what God thinks about Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts toward us. And your thoughts toward us. What does God think about? He thinks about you, and he thinks about me. How amazing is that? Then the wonder, secondly, the wonder of God's presence, verses 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you an atheist asked where is God and a Christian answered where is God not Adam and Eve attempted to hide from the presence of God unsuccessfully Jonah attempted to flee from God's presence also unsuccessfully and David asks verse 7 where can I go from your spirit and the answer of course is nowhere nowhere The truth of God's omnipresence is frightening to the unbeliever but a comforting one to the Christian. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Matthew 28.20 I am with you always. Again, the fact that God is everywhere was a source of joy for David. Regardless of where I am, God's hand will lead me, he says in verse 10. David did not feel like a prisoner even though he was as he says hemmed in by God David had investigated the heights and the depths the east the west the land the sea he had found no place where God was not even the darkness of night he says is as bright as day to God at some earlier time I believe David may have tried to flee from God on account of a deep sense of sin, but here in these verses he is not seeking such flight, but rather he is glorying in God's presence. It was a source of joy to him rather than a source of torment. Have you ever played hide-and-seek with little kids? Sure. I'm sure you have. I remember some of those times myself, playing hide and seek with when our kids were small, or maybe with my grandkids. The little kids would go and hide, and then they'd want us to find them. Maybe in the back of a closet. When you when you pull them out from the back of the closet, or drag them out by the leg from under, from under the bed, that's that's when the giggling starts, right? The excitement was in being found. And I believe that the greatest longing of the human heart is to be found out by God and realizing that he loves me anyway. Our God is a seeking God, seeking for a relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? David did not want to miss God's loving care. He knew how dependent he was how totally hopeless the situation would be if God wasn't there for him. I recall reading about a young couple and their little two-year-old son. Almost as soon as the little guy could talk, they, would, they taught him a, a bedtime prayer, uh, or taught him to say a bedtime prayer, and usually it was something like, uh, uh, bless mommy, bless daddy, bless grandma, Amen. And he would jump into bed. But this one night, and he was a little older now, they were tiptoeing past his bedroom door, and he was just saying his prayer before he jumped under the covers. Bless mommy, bless daddy, bless grandma. And then he paused. And he added, and please take care of yourself, God, because if anything happens to you, we're all sunk. A lot of us adults can learn from that little boy. We cannot do better than to give ourselves into God's hands and look to him for the direction of our life. As one author put it, God never wastes anything. God never forgets anything. God never loses anything. Though he holds the world, in the worlds in the hollowest hand He will yet remember each of us and the part we are fitted to play in the eternal drama. As far up as we can go, as far down, as far out, in daylight or in darkness, our Lord is with us. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then thirdly, the wonder of God's power, verses 13 to 18 For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The wonder of God's power. David in this psalm, he could have used God's vast creation as an example of God's great power. Some of the, some of the statistics I gave you earlier, That I'm sure, I'm sure creation as a whole impressed him very much as we read there. But instead of using creation as an example of God's, the wonder of God's power, he used the miracle of birth. Jeremiah 1 5 says, God says there, Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. How tragic that the human fetus is too often considered a nuisance to be removed or discarded. Instead of a miracle, to be admired and welcomed. Now for you young parents that have little kids that come up here every morning, some of them are noisy during the service and disruptive. Let me be the first to tell you, it doesn't bother me a bit. I love it. I love the sound of these little kids. And I know God loves it. And your bringing them to church is honoring him. Just wanted you to know that. I uh, I have a book, uh, recapturing the recapturing the wonder, or recapture the wonder. I think it is, by Ravi Zacharias. I have that at home, and I was reading that uh, that book, and in connection with what I wanted to say here about God being interested in in even the. Baby from the time of conception, okay, has his hand on this little this little one. Ravi tells us a true story, an incredible true story, of a young lady, an acquaintance of his. She was in a very abusive marriage. Her marriage was falling apart. It came to the point where she had to leave her husband, and at the same time she discovered she was pregnant. And she was so frustrated and she was so angry, Ravi says, that she drove herself to the the nearest abortion clinic, she was going to get rid of her baby. She was that angry. And she was in the procedure room. The doctor came in with a syringe, the injection of which would start the abortion process. And just then, a nurse burst into the procedure room, and she said to the doctor... There's an emergency call. You have to take this call. So he had to leave the room. He left the syringe lying on the table. And the young lady, she turned on the bed to the other side and the doctor had left the monitor on. And she saw the sonograph of the little one in her room, And she was so overcome by the gravity of, this, of what she was intending to do. She jumped off the bed. She got dressed. She walked out of the hospital. She had paid for the procedure up front. She didn't stop at the desk for a refund. She walked out of that hospital. Ravi... Met her, he says, several months later after she had delivered that baby. And he thanked her for her courage to do the right thing. And she said to him, It wasn't me. I heard a voice. God was there. That girl, Ravi says, is now a teenager. She is her mother's closest friend and greatest support, a tremendous blessing in her life. God's love and care are not reserved for those of great consequence. An unborn baby in the secret place of his mother's womb is covered by the hand of the Almighty. God values what he creates and he is lovingly, in, lovingly interested in every detail of our lives. Verse 17, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. To the psalmist, the fact that, knows that God knew all about him, even from the moment of conception, does not alarm him, but is rather a comfort to him. I have a three-volume set, uh, commentary set on the psalms. Thick books, three of them, about that thick, by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. This is, this is old stuff. I inherited those, that set of books, and many others like them, from my father, who passed away 36 years ago this winter. I go back to these old books a lot of times, and I went back to one of them when on Psalm 139. I had to, I had to see what, what Charles Haddon Spurgeon and writers like him had to say about Psalm 139. And Spurgeon, in a lot of his commentary, he picks up poetry. Poetry that has been written to fit a portion of scripture. And uh, that's why I I did this, because uh, my dad loved poetry. Uh, He always told me, I'm not a singer, I can't sing. Like some of us, when we go about our work, we might hum a tune or even sing, or we might whistle or whatever. My dad would recite poetry, as strange as that sounds, as a little guy... If I came to the barn to help him do the chores, I often heard him already before I got into the barn that he was reciting a poem. And he had so many valuable poems, meaningful stuff in his head. He knew them all from memory. That's why I thought, maybe this is fitting. Maybe my love of good poetry uh, has been inherited too. But anyway, I I won't read the whole poem, but I'll just read a few verses that that, that Spurgeon includes in his commentary on one thirty-nine, Psalm 139. How from thy presence should I go, or whither from thy spirit flee, since all above, around, below, exist in thine immensity? If up to heaven I take my way, I meet thee in eternal day. Let darkness hide me, if I say, darkness can no concealment be. Night... On thy rising shines like day, darkness and light are one with thee, for thou my embryo form didst view, ere her own babe my mother knew. How precious are thy thoughts of peace, O God to me, how great the sum, knew every morn they never cease, they were, they are, and yet shall come, in number and encompass more than ocean sands on ocean's shore. In our materialistic society, our personal worth is often measured by our net worth, sad as that is, or the way we look, or the size of our house, or the type of car we drive, etc., etc. Fortunately, the world's standards are not God's standards. God does not love us because we are valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. Let me repeat. God does not love us because we are valuable. We are valuable because he loves us. And he wants us to trust him. He wants us to rejoice that he knows and cares. He wants us to confess and forsake whatever stands between us and him. He delights to forgive us. We are to delight ourselves in his all-knowing care and rejoice in the fact that his greatest gift is to allow us to know him. Amen.